Let's pray. Father God, thank you for all that you have done for us in salvation. We've sang a number of songs this morning that point to what you have done. Not what we have done, but what you have done. And we give you the glory for that. Father, I ask that you would help us to listen, help us to respond in faith in a way that glorifies and pleases you this morning as we listen to your word and as we seek to go and be doers of it. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our series in Exodus, even though Pastor Chad is away with his family on a little vacation. Uh, we're going to stay in Exodus. The theme of Exodus that Pastor Chad has been sharing with us is Jehovah Unveiled. God revealed, God made known to his people. And as Pastor Chad has said, it's not that God hasn't made himself known, but in Exodus, he's declaring himself in new ways to his people. He's revealing himself in a different way than he has so far through, through history, through his people's history. And our theme verse for, verses for Exodus are Exodus 6, 6 through 7. Let's say these together. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. If you look closely at these verses, you'll see how God says he will act, what God will do. It's great promises for the people of Israel that they, will, they not only heard what God would do, but eventually, as we'll see here very shortly, especially in beginning of chapter 7, that God's power is going to be on display to his people, that he is going to do exactly what he said, that he is going to bring them out from under the burdens, the slavery of the Egyptians. God is the focus of the book of Exodus. God wants his people to be totally dependent and reliant on him. Today, our text in Exodus is Exodus 6, verses 14 to 30. So if you have a copy of God's Word, whether uh, paper or electronic, I encourage you to open that and turn that on and uh, follow along as we read Exodus uh, chapter 6, verses 14 to 30. And if you are an amazing reader of Bible names, I apologize for how I might butcher these names today. But if you're like me, you're probably average at best at pronouncing Bible names so uh, bear with me, and here we go. We're going to read Exodus 6, verses 14 to 30. These are the heads of their families, their father's families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Hanak and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jimuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their family records, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon, 
Libni and Shimei, by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari, Malai, and Mushai, these are the clans of the Levites according to their family records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elizaphan, and Sithri. Aaron married Elishabah, daughter of Amenadab, and sister of Nashon. She bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Aaron's son, Eleazar, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the Levite families by their clans. It was this Aaron and Moses whom the Lord told, Bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt according to their military divisions. Moses and Aaron were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, in order to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. On the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to them, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. But Moses replied in the Lord's presence, Since I am such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? If I were to ask you this morning to choose, and I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud, but if I were to ask you to answer and to choose between a Coke and Pepsi, Chevy and Ford, Case IH and John Deere, Iowa and Iowa State, I would guess many, if not all of you, would have a very quick response to one of those. Am I right? I'm guessing even now, as you sit here, you made a choice. You made a choice between those. We make choices all the time, and those choices are based on something we like or we dislike. We make choices based on the quality or taste or the look of something. We make choices based on a person or product. In our passage today, we find that God is making choices based on who he is, not on who people are. He's making a choice based on who he is and not on who the people that he chooses are. Our big idea for this passage is that God is magnified in choosing, in his choosing of people. God is magnified in his choosing of people. Let's pray as we get started and dig into God's word. Father God, thank you that you are always with us. And in this moment, you are with us. And this is your word for us today. Father, help us to have our eyes fixed on you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, God is magnified in his choosing of Levi to show his mercy in verses 14 through 19. In this genealogy, we find God choosing Levi over Reuben and Simeon, who are both older. They were all sons of Jacob. 
What was it about Levi that God chose him over his brothers? Was he more worthy of God's choice? Was he better in some way? Did he do some great feat that gained him favor with God? It was none of this. God chose Levi because God would be magnified through Levi to show him, show his mercy. Mercy is getting, is not getting what we rightly deserve. Mercy is getting what we rightly, is not getting what we rightly deserve. This genealogy is unique. A lot of genealogies in scripture uh, give information uh, specific about generations in succession but this, generation, or this genealogy does not. It's, a spe- it's not a specific generation, uh, but it's a focused generation on the tribe and people of Levi. It's focused. It looks to the heads and leaders of the clans. But, as you notice, it only goes to the first three sons of Levi, or of Jacob, excuse me. It stops at Levi. In our passage in verse 14, it begins with Reuben, Jacob's son, his firstborn son. And many would think that the significance of being the firstborn would be where the author Moses, God, stops. Jacob's son is Reuben, the firstborn. And in following with the custom of the day, one would expect the firstborn to be the leader, the one to whom all the family looked for guidance for leadership, in the important matters of life and family. But God doesn't choose Reuben to be this leader. Reuben made a choice when he was younger that impacted his place in the family. And later on, God cursed him for this choice. If you're not familiar with what I'm referring to, you can see it in Genesis 35 where he, Reuben, decides to sleep with his father's concubine and it's believed the reason he chose to do so was to take the place of leadership that Jacob rightly had in the, at that time. Reuben was a rebellious usurper to the leadership of the family. He wanted to be the leader and he sought to handle things in his own way. God did not choose Reuben. The author only gives us Reuben's sons, and then he stops with his family line, because the focus of his genealogy isn't on Reuben. Look going on in verse 15. Next, we read about Simeon, the second son of Jacob. If God was not going to choose Reuben, would he not then choose the secondborn? But that's not the case here. God did not choose Simeon for what he had planned. Like Simeon, we have, or like Reuben, we have Simeon's sons listed, and that's all we have here in this, this genealogy. We have his sons. Simeon, too, as Reuben, had a sinful event in his life, different than Reuben, but was connected to Levi. Simeon and Levi took it upon themselves to kill an entire cities, people, an entire tribe of men because of an evil done to their sister. You can read about that in Genesis 34. A great evil was done against their sister and they decided to take matters into their own hands and deceptively killed all the men of that city. 
Simeon and Levi were not innocent men who were worthy of God choosing to show his mercy to them and through them. They took matters into their own hands. They murdered a large number of men. God didn't choose Simeon for the task that he had in plan for the people of Israel. Next, in verses 16 through 19, we see God focusing on Levi. He focuses the rest of his time, even in this, the rest of this chapter, on Levi and his descendants. We find Levi's sons and further descendants listed here. And later on in verses 20 to 25, the author Moses goes into great detail as to who these descendants are. And the significance of them might not jump out at us, but there's some incredible things that we see revealed in verses 20 to 25, and we'll get to that later. But for now, enough for now, is that God chose Levi. And as I said, Levi and Simeon were connected in a great atrocity that they did towards uh, a group of men. They took matters in their own hands and killed these men. But I believe God chose Levi to show his mercy to a whole nation. Levi was the one in whom God chose and his descendants to be the worship leaders in Israel. The people of Levi became the tribe of Levi, or what we might call the Levites. And as the law is given and as the tabernacle is set up, they were the ones who were to lead in worship. They were the ones to point people to God. And what an amazing mercy that God shows to Levi, who didn't deserve God's mercy, but through Levi, the worship leaders of the people of Israel came. There's no reason why. Levi wasn't worthy in and of himself. He wasn't better, you could say, than Reuben or Simeon or any of the other brothers that he had. Yet God chose him, chose Levi to show his mercy. Levi's family, as I said, would be the worship leaders. Think about the significance of that. The murderer Levi, his descendants, would point people to God would be the worship leaders in Israel. What an amazing mercy. We too are like Levi, though, are we not? Oh, you might not be sitting here today having committed murder against a great number of people. But we too, as Levi, deserve the wrath of God for our sins. Sure, our sins aren't what Reuben's were, maybe, Our sins aren't what Simeon and Levi's were, maybe. But yet in the word of God, God says that we are equally guilty. We equally deserve the wrath of God for our sins. We are without excuse. And yet God, if you're here this morning and you have trusted Christ as your Savior, God has shown you great mercy. God has placed his mercy on you through choosing you to be his in Christ. And that ought to put you in a place of awe. Because you absolutely, I absolutely do not deserve God's mercy to be his, to be his chosen one and to be with him forever. What incredible truth that God's mercy magnifies him. 
God's mercy in saving you doesn't point to your greatness or my greatness, but it points to the magnificence of God. He doesn't have to save you. He doesn't have to do anything for you. But God's mercy in saving and choosing people magnifies him. God's mercy, God is magnified in choosing Levi to showcase his mercy to Israel. Israel would know who Levi was. He is the son of Jacob, but he's also a murderer. Why would God choose that guy? But God's, God is magnified in choosing Levi to showcase his mercy. Second, in verses uh, 20 through 30, uh, we see God is magnified in choosing Moses and Aaron to show his power to his people. God is magnified in choosing Moses and Aaron to show his power to his people. As I said, as I said, this genealogy is focusing on one family or tribe in Israel. It's focusing on Levi. We talked about Reuben briefly, one verse for Reuben, one verse for Simeon, the rest for Levi. He's focusing on it because God chose Levi and the author is seeking to bring us to a point. And I believe that point is in verses 26 and 27 and we'll get there. But this is where he is going. He has a purpose. He has a plan and his choosing is in accordance with his purpose and plan. Now, as we look at this, we're going to see how God magnifies himself through his choosing to showcase his power. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, we focus in on Amram. If you look back, not too many verses, to verse 18, uh, who, Amram is the son of Kohath, the grandson of Levi. Now, if you are a Bible study student and you go and look at these, this genealogy, you might come back and say, well, they're not directly related. Well, there's a lot of variations into what people believe. But what it looks like from us in the text is that this is the situation. But nonetheless, Amram is a descendant of Levi and Kohath, his father. Kohath had five, four sons, and yet the focus is not on any of the others, but on Amram. God is choosing whom he will for his plan and for his glory. Verse 20 also poses an uncomfortable situation for us. Amram married his father's sister. And we might be distracted by this because later in Leviticus we find a prohibition about this. Moses, the author, could have left out this little detail in his family line, but he doesn't. He leaves it here to magnify God for using broken, sinful people. God's power over sin and brokenness is on display here. Do you see that? God's power over sin and brokenness is on display. Throughout this genealogy, we find the selecting of one over another. Amram over Izhar, Uziel, and Hebron. Though some of those sons of those men are listed, God chose Amram. Now, you might need to be reminded that it, Moses, he is writing this, not, this account not as it is happening, 
But as he looks back, he is writing an account, a way for the people of Israel to remember what happened. Remember who God is. As you think about the sons of Izhar, maybe one of those names stands out to you. The name Korah. Not because Pastor Chad's daughter is named Korah. Different spelling, different person. But because Korah led a rebellion against God's chosen leader, Moses. And what's interesting about that, if you think about it, what's the relationship between Moses and Aaron and Korah? They're cousins. Is it possible, and we don't know the answer to this, but I wonder, is it possible that Korah felt a right to be a leader within the people of Israel? He's a descendant of Levi, is he not? He's an equal in line to Moses and Aaron. But God chose Moses and Aaron and not Korah. Korah leads this rebellion and it costs him his life. God is pointing out the reality here that he makes choices based on who he chooses. Not because of who these people are, but because who he is. God is using this choice of Moses and Aaron to magnify his power. His power over people's choices, his power over sin. Going on, we see that God chooses to focus on Aaron's descendants. Now you might say, whoa, 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 whoa. Aaron's not the focus here. Aaron's not the main leader of Israel, right? Moses is. Why focus on Aaron? Well, it's because of Levi. Moses, or Aaron is the one in whom will be the original high priest in Israel. When the, when the priesthood of Israel is set up, Aaron is that man, and God is focusing on him. Not that Moses is insignificant, but here in this genealogy, he's focusing on Aaron. Something really awesome happens, in my opinion, in verse 23. Verse 23 connects the tribe of Levi with the tribe of Judah. And you might not see that in the text, but hold on a second, I'll help you see it. Aaron's wife is Elishabah. Here, and uh, Elishaba is the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon. Those two names get no explanation here. Absolutely none. But uh, in Numbers 1, chapter 1, verse 7, and in other, many other passages in Numbers, you find, we find Aminadab and Nashon are in the tribe of Judah. And you might say, okay, what's the significance about that? Well, uh, in the, and also if you look at Ruth, chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, both Amenadab and Nashon are listed in the line of King David, which is ultimately in the line of whom? Jesus. That is, a, that is an amazing note that, that Moses just puts in here, and he doesn't really explain it, but he says that Aaron's wife is in the tribe, is a, is a, is a descendant of Judah. There's this connection here of Levi and Judah. And uh, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing how God works, that he sovereignly planned Aaron to marry Elisheba. That was his plan. A lady from Judah, God's power connected those two tribes. 
He is an amazing God. But as we saw in the line of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, and his descendants, specifically Korah, Aaron is not free from his own challenges, both personally and in his family line. If you remember Aaron and his sister Miriam, they too rebelled and complained against Moses, the leader of Israel. But even more than that, what happened when Moses goes up onto the mountain to receive the law from God? Aaron is not much of a leader. He's a good follower. He isn't much of a leader. And he follows and goes along with building a golden calf. Now, maybe because I'm being a little cynical, I think of why would they build a golden calf and believe that that golden calf led them out of Egypt? I, I think that's a little odd, but, mo, but Aaron is the one who did that. Aaron isn't innocent. Aaron isn't uh, free from sin and free from failure. He dropped the ball. He failed. And yet again, God uses him. God uses his family, which is interesting because as Moses's, or Aaron's sons, we see there are Nadab and Abihu and Eliezer and Ithamar. Now, we know something about those first two boys. Uh, we know something about Nadab and Abihu because they brought, they were killed for bringing unauthorized fire or worship before God. They chose to approach God in their own way and they paid for it. There was costly consequences for worshiping God in their own way. They chose to come to God in their own way and they paid for it. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu were Aaron's sons who were killed. But there's a really cool thing that happens as the end of this genealogy comes to a close in verse 25. We see Aaron's son Eleazar married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. It's interesting, we don't know a lot about Phineas. He's not as well known as some of them, but he did something incredible. He expressed incredible faith in God. He had great faith in God because he uh, helped to end a great amount of Israelites worshiping someone and something other than God. If you look, you don't have to do this now, but Numbers chapter 25, there was false worship going on in the ranks of Israel, and Phineas puts a big stop to it. He said, this is wrong. This is sin. This is rebellion. And he, he helps to end that. In all this genealogy, God is making known to us but specifically to his people Israel, who it is that Moses and Aaron are. Look at verse 26. It was this Aaron and Moses. This is who it is. This Aaron, this Moses, were the ones that God was going to use. Not another Aaron, not another Moses, but this Aaron and Moses. The author tracks down their lineage. Now, we know the, author, the human author is, is Moses, and so that wasn't difficult for him. But he does it nonetheless to make a point. They are not special people who are gifted or come from an excellent pedigree. They're just people. They're just men from the tribe of Levi, sons of Jacob. They were from a line of sinners, as all of us are. They themselves were sinners, I mean, we've already seen in the, in the life of, of, of Moses in Exodus that he sinned and made excuse 
after excuse after excuse for why he couldn't do what God wanted him to do. And even at the end of our passage, we see again the excuse that Moses makes. They're not special people, but God's power is on display in his choosing of them to lead his people out of, Israel, out of Egypt to the promised land. God chooses Moses and Aaron, as we see in verse 26, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. Moses and Aaron were the ones who were not only to bring them out, but they were to go and speak to Pharaoh. Talk about intimidating. The person with all authority, humanly speaking, they were to go and say, uh, God wants you to let our people go. And it wasn't that essentially the message that they took to the, the most powerful man in the nation. God chose them. He chose them to do this. Even though God chose Moses and Aaron to go before Pharaoh, look at verse 30. What's Moses doing? I can't do this, God. I can't speak. He's making excuses for what he is able to do. But Moses is not remembering and not focusing on who his God is. His God is the all-powerful God. Moses is making excuses, but here we see in this, chap- in this chapter, in these verses, that God is showing his power over sin, over rebellion, over excuses. God's power is greater than all of these things. Our sins, our rebellion, our excuses do not make God's promises in his word void. They don't affect them at all. God had any number of reasons to reject Moses and Aaron from this task. He did not, and therefore he deserves all the glory for his choosing of Moses and Aaron for the task of leading his people, God's people, out of Egypt. And he did this through great power. God is magnified in choosing Moses and Aaron to show his power over sin, rebellion, human weakness, and Egypt. Think about your own life for a moment. Think about the sins that you have committed, the rebellion against God that you have pursued, the excuses that you've made to not obey God. Is God greater than those? Is God superior than those? God is magnified in choosing us despite our sin. He forgives our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. God is magnified in choosing to show his power over sin, rebellion, human weaknesses, and in this passage, Egypt. As we've looked at this genealogy in Exodus 6 verses 14 to 30, we've learned that God is magnified in choosing people. He's not magnified because of who those people are. He's magnified because he, God, chooses people for his purpose and for his glory. God is made much of in choosing people for his purposes. Sometimes the people chosen don't make much sense to us. We look at them and say, why that guy? Why that lady? We don't have any idea why God chooses them, but he does, and he uses them. Levi Aaron and Moses were chosen not because of who they were or what they had done. Rather, they were chosen so that God 
would receive glory through his mercy and power being made known to his people. When people heard about Levi, Moses, Aaron, they weren't going to look at Moses and Aaron and Levi and say, yeah, makes sense. I get it why God chose them. They were going to look at God and say, wow, what an awesome God. God chose those dudes to be his chosen ones? Nadab and Abihu and Amram and Korah and Reuben and Simeon and Moses and Aaron and Levi are just like us. What's the, what's the commonality there? We all are rebellious sinners. Each one of us are rebellious sinners. And if you're a believer here this morning, God has chosen you. God has chosen you in Jesus. God has chosen you to be his in Jesus. You and I are not worthy of that selecting. We didn't earn it because we're sinners. We all have rebelled against God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace, Ephesians 2 4 and 5. What incredible truth that God is rich in mercy. God saved you this morning if you're a believer. God saved you by his grace and for his glory alone. God chose to showcase his amazing mercy and love in you and through you. Does that not motivate you, believer, this morning to praise and glorify God? You don't deserve it. You deserve his wrath. And yet God chose you to magnify his power over sin and his mercy by not giving you what you deserve. If you're here today and you've never responded to the good news of the gospel that I just talked about, that Jesus alone saves, he can be yours today. But you need to know that if you haven't responded to the gospel through repentance and faith, that you are facing the wrath of God for your sin. That's reality this morning. If you sit here and you have never responded to the gospel with what Jesus did on the cross and through the empty grave, you are condemned. Not because of anything other than your own sinful rebellion. But the good news that I have for you today, that God has for you today, is there's mercy and power over your sin. And it's found in Jesus Christ. The question is, will you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus alone for salvation? I want to leave you this morning with two takeaways. Number one, believer, will you glory in God's choosing of you in Jesus Christ? Will that be your joy? Will that be your hope? Will that be what you exult in throughout your day? Will you glory in God's choosing of you in Jesus? And as you do, will you tell one person who needs to hear the gospel this week this awesome reality that God in Christ chose you? If you're a believer here, we shouldn't just be amazed when we sit in a pew at God's greatness, at his bigness for saving us. 
that reality that God chose us apart from any significance within us ought to drive us to go to anybody because we don't know who God will save. So therefore, we ought to declare him to others. The question is, will you glory in God's choosing of you in Jesus and will you tell another person about that this week? If you're an unbeliever here, if you've never responded to the gospel with repentance and faith, that's my challenge for you today. Will you respond to what Jesus has done for you on the cross and through the empty grave with repentance of your sins and faith alone in Jesus alone? If you have more questions about that, please talk to myself or someone sitting near you. We would be glad and happy to sit down and open the word of God and help you to know for certain that you, have, you can have eternal life. God is magnified in his choosing of people because we are unworthy and undeserving of his selection, but he is all-powerful and he is full and rich of mercy. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you are God and we are not. Father, we would be way too picky if we were in your place. We would choose people because of what we think is significant. And yet, Father God, you did not look at the person, but you looked at yourself and made a choice. Father, help us to glorify you through your choosing of people for your purpose and for your glory. Help us to magnify you. Help us to make much of you because of who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.